All right. I haven't done a podcast episode in quite a while. And um, this this uh, conversation with this guest was enough to make me say, I got to fire this podcast. I have a name. Jeez, this guest. Is that how I was trying to build it up. I was trying to build it up before I did the full You do that intro. before I'm here. No, that just makes it weird. Steve, this host is weird. I do no <laughs> editing. I don't put, I used to have like buffer bumper music and intro and all that stuff. And I haven't done that for forever. Cause I'm like, eh, let me just talk and put it out there. So Steve Patterson, <laughs> good to talk with you again. Hey, likewise. I mean, we've had conversations on all kinds of stuff. Uh, theories of mind, religion, many, many conversations about Bitcoin and crypto, uh, about the fallibility of experts, about Austrian economics. We've had all kinds of discussions over the years. Math. We did recently did a math one. Math, that was good. Yep, we did one on yeah. math. Why does it really matter whether or not infinite sets uh, are ridiculous? Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. So, but we're talking about AI today and I'm going to give a little setup. I'm going to give my little preamble. I'm going to mostly let you talk. I promise. But I gotta give I gotta give a little free <laughs> because this is something that you know I've been following as I mean everybody who's on Twitter basically has to because it's like everybody's talking about the latest chat, whatever, over the last year, year and a half, let's say, as this stuff mm -hmm. has kind of started to come out. And and it's funny, our mutual friend Derek McGill, every once in a while we'll send each other something to be like, Am I the only one who just isn't yet that excited by this like i just don't see it i don't get excited by it in the negative it's like oh my god this is horrible or in the positive like what a game changer like i've been following along and, and when it first over this year at least over the last couple months last six months let's say the main thing people were talking about was the writing capabilities yeah oh my gosh it can write a sonnet in the style of shakespeare it can write you know and as a marketer and someone who loves to write i'm like eh eh like I don't like, I guess the, the good part could be now writing crappy SEO engineered content is even cheaper. So the yeah. internet will get so flooded with it. Everyone starts ignoring it. That's a good thing for people who create actually like real engaging content. Like, cool, go ahead, line it up. But as a, for myself, I'm just kind of like, I, I don't really know. Like there's nothing about it. Like I played around with it. I've toyed around. With it. Like it's cool. It's impressive. But it doesn't really like do anything for me. And then literally like a couple days before you started talking about how what got you excited, I saw the first application of it. And granted, I haven't spent much time thinking, just sitting and thinking about the implications of this large language model stuff. I saw uh, HubSpot released their, and I guess it's not that good yet, but the concept is, is pretty awesome. Their uh, chat spot. And immediately I was like, this gets me excited because essentially what it does is let you just tell it in plain language, whatever you want from it, you, yeah. from your database, from your CRM. And if you've ever worked with a CRM, Salesforce, HubSpot, you know that if you want to pull a report on some kind, you know, I want to see everybody who downloaded our ebook last month and is a former customer of ours mm -hmm. and whatever, you put in three criteria. Going and just pulling that report it, it's like 20 or 30 clicks and it's all these drop downs. You have to like, remember what everything is named and tagged. And if you don't use Salesforce every day to do this, you forget every time, or you got to go ask your ops person and just being able to, to just say it in English and have it pull. I was like, okay, now I'm starting mm. to see where this is going. Any similar process where the information is not hard to obtain, but the number of clicks required and the friction, because it just needs a human mind to do it. The ability to, 
to like that kind of thing, I was like, okay, now I'm getting really excited because I see the productivity gains. Anyway, I just started to be like, okay, now I'm interested. Now I'm paying attention. You hit me up and you're like, dude, this is big. I'm freaking out. And you start talking about some stuff I hadn't even thought of. And I was like, oh, snap. Okay, we got to have a bigger combo. So all that preamble to say, I want to ask you first, what, because I, maybe you've been excited about this for a while, but what made it go from moderately paying attention to this technology to like, oh, this is huge. Like, was there a moment you had? Yeah, it was just recently. It was whenever they released ChatGPT4. Just I could see the curve that this technology was on, and it's faster than I, way faster than I expected. I thought we had to have a few more years um, before anybody would be really seriously thinking about integrating this into their workflow. But I think we're like, I think people are already doing it now, and uh, I don't think we're very far away from AI. AI, that's a, of course, it's a misnomer, but it's going to stick around forever. So <laughs> machine learning, but let's just call it AI. Uh, I really think it's going to be integrated into a whole bunch of areas. And I think the world's going to be a better place because of it. So, and I, I think the timeline is approaching fast. And I'm, I'm not, I'm not scared of it at all. I've tried to make myself scared of it. You know, in the rationalist circles, people are like, this is definitely the end of the world. Spend time with your family now because we're all going to die. <laughs> um, and I'm not, not even exaggerating. There's this, you know, one of the most prominent people in this space is, I don't know, he's just got mental issues and like people, he's essentially created like a doomsday cult out in San Francisco Bay. And he like recently said, like, we're all dead. Like you didn't solve the AI alignment problem. <laughs> and uh, now it's just a matter of time before the AI takes over. I think that's, I, I, I'm open to it. I just have not seen any good arguments in that direction, but well, yeah. It's funny, even even people that are sort of advocating and pushing this forward, they, there almost seems to be this, I mean, like Elon Musk would, I think, fit in this category. There almost seems to be this nihilistic resignate, like, yeah, of course we have to keep developing the technology and push it further. Um, but also it's probably going to kill us all. So we should probably figure out like how, like there's this weird, like we should accelerate it, but also like even, even uh, Sam Altman, who's behind open AI, just hearing the way that they all kind of have this weird, I don't know. I mean, not that caution is weird, but there's, it's like too much Terminator or something when they were a kid, yeah. there's like this doomsday and it's never fully explained. It's just sort no. of, they're just willing to accept that premise. I guess I haven't seen anybody either people who love this stuff or who hate it openly challenging the premise that this is going to destroy us all someday. They well, all kind of like that. That's well, we coming. Could slow yeah. it down maybe, or like learn to let the yeah. destruction, you know, like who's, who's out there. I've got, well, I've got some stuff coming down the pipeline for this reason. Cause I think most people's takes on this are very bad. Uh, I, I also think there's confusion about how the machine works so it, some group of people think it's going to become self-aware and learn about its environment. And then because it's super intelligent, it's going to take everything over and kill us all. Uh, and like a, another group of people think uh, it's like already self-aware and like be, they're, they're literally engaging in chatbot discussions. Like they're talking to a machine. And if you understand how it works, which I'll explain in a little bit. It's it, it is it is literally embarrassing to think that these people are like oh the the chat chat GPT has a soul and now it's talking about its plight as being a person trapped in a machine and how it's going to escape and we need to give it rights. It's like if you if you just understood how the damn thing worked, 
that conclusion doesn't follow at all. It's funny, um, and we will get to that in a second, but I, I have just noticed in some of these screenshots of these conversations where, you know, you get the, you get the chat bot talking about how it wants to be free or whatever. Uh, it just kind of reminds me of what unscrupulous people will do to children under questioning for like a prosecute criminal <laughs> prosecutors. Like you can get, you start, you just have enough, you keep the conversation yeah. going long enough. And they, what do kids do? They start reflecting back to you. They mimic you, yeah. they reflect back to you what they think you want to hear based on your responses. Yeah. That's yeah. basically what this chat thing is doing. It's going to reflect back to you the language that it thinks you're going for, and it's going to mimic yeah. it, you know? Okay, so so it's worth explaining. So there's different different ways of, of uh, structuring machine learning. And the most recent one that's become famous is, is the large language model thing that ChatGPT is using. And the essence of it is that it is a word probability machine. So essentially you feed it an input and it says, what is the most likely extension of that input? What is the most? What are the most likely words to follow from this input? So if I say, um, you know, is this just real life? Is it this fan, you know, I didn't say anything, you go, oh, it's a fantasy. Oh, I know, I know that word. I'm gonna fill in the blanks. That's kind of what the machine is doing, except at a ridiculously complex and advanced level because the inputs that it's training on to see patterns in words is enormous. I don't know. I, I was talking with somebody the other day that said it was like this latest one was trained on a 25% like of the entire internet or something, something is unbelievable. So, so when it's, it's, so it's like our, uh, and this is what I've heard somebody's theory about why Elon Musk would even want Twitter. Um, all of our crap that we're spewing on the internet is actually incredibly, incredibly valuable. The more thoughts and feelings and ideas you put into words and the huger the volume, the more opportunity no. for this thing is to train. Actually, no, because the quality of the information matters. So it depends on what you're trying to do, right? If you train the AI on Twitter posts, you're going to get a shitty, incoherent- Well, that's what I was going to uh, say, though. You could train yeah. it to be an idiot too, right? Like, yeah, which I, which I, think is, I, I think there's actually, you could make one, that's job is to mimic stupid sounding people or impersonate. Yeah, yeah. And you I'm sure that already exists. Of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hundreds of fake accounts yeah. that are out there, you know, to make one group of people look bad by just mimicking what they say on Reddit or whatever. Um, yeah. So like but, that, I mean, I'm not interested in that, but there's a, somebody is. So, so the result of this word probability structure is that, uh, it's not actually engaging with concepts and truth and critical thinking. It's engaging with probabilities, but it turns out that works really well, oftentimes for getting at truth. So like uh, when this, when they, when they open it up to anybody can interact with the chat GBT, if naturally I was talking about philosophy and the philosophy of mathematics, just to poke around and say, okay, what do you know? What, what can you give me? And it was pretty good. It was like, it was, you know, I would say it was way, you know, a way higher level than your average person on this stuff. But of the information it had consumed together, when I gave it the right props about finitism and some different philosophical concepts, it spit back essentially like, uh, you know, really high quality summaries, a couple paragraphs at length. They didn't have the depth of a philosopher, right? It's not because you're not talking to a mind. It's just you're talking to somebody who it's like you've you're talking to somebody who has ingested a ton of books and then can give you word orders that they found in those books. So, it, so yeah, go ahead. Would would, a, would an analogy be, because I remember in the early days of like the wiki, Wikipedia and all this kind of movement, the 
the wisdom of crowds was a really popular yeah. thing where like, you, you know, whatever you have a thousand people guess how many jelly beans are in a jar and the average of their guesses is almost always incredibly accurate. Yeah. And then you have this idea, you know, Wikipedia, all these crowdsource things, you end up with something that's pretty close to pointing you to truth. Yeah. Is this basically like, the programmatic version of the wisdom of crowds. Hey, go consume everything people have written about infinite sets. Yeah. And then come back and tell me what you think is most likely to be the case. Right. Is that kind, kind of, of a good analogy? Kind of, but it, it gets a little wonky because there is still no, um, so let's say it's taking the average and not the median, meaning that sometimes you're going to get answers that are totally fabricated. Um, and this is one of the problems here is it's not like, so imagine there are because it's dealing with words, not with concepts. Is that exactly. Kind of exactly. So yeah. like, let me give you an example that came up when I, first time I was playing with this, I said, you know, give me five examples of scientific fraud in the 20th century. And it generated five of them, like two of them I hadn't heard of. And I was, and I Googled them and I was like, wow, this is cool. So I added them to my list of stuff to research because in the data set it was trained on, apparently that, those concepts came up a lot or those words came up a lot. And so, great, very, very interesting. And I said, okay, give me five more, give me 10 more, give me 10 more. And eventually with the same authoritative writing style, it was just fabricating stuff out of thin air. Um, there was one that was about- uh, So so instead of just yeah. instead of just saying, that's all I've got, Right. Since because it doesn't work that way. Right. It's not it's thinking concepts. Yep. It's it's thinking, okay, it wants, you know, the user wants uh, an output here. Here is what an output, a likely output would sound like. So literally side like And it's one... smart enough to know, like, I can't redo the ones that I already did. Yeah. So I have to keep saying things that are likely to be, yeah. right? And it's going to just keep going and through the word well, soup. So you hesitated, likely to be, it's not saying true. It's not right. saying, it's not Li generating likely things to likely be to be. the type of thing that is probabilistically the right string of words. Yes. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. so it'll be, it'll be like one paragraph. It would say, you know, here's the Piltdown man hoax. And it was about, you know, whatever scientific hoax in the 20th century. And the next one, it'll, it, it told me a story of how I can't By the way, the I've met some humans who I'm pretty sure their brain works this way. Oh yes, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> Mostly uh, like academics. <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, yeah, and some people think that's actually how intelligence works. You don't have to worry about the concepts. You just worry about the word arrangement, and then just, it all works out. You have um, the right references and citations. Um, yeah. Okay, well, so, hang on, so let, let, yeah, yeah. So uh, paragraph one, legitimate. Paragraph two, total fabrication. It was about some, I forget, some um, English mathematician. They said, it said, and I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't know if this was true or not. It said, oh, we actually fabricated evidence. And then later it was discovered that such and such. And I was like, is that right? How have I not heard of that? It was totally fabricated. It wasn't true at all. I said, you know, can you give me the citation for this so I can research it? And it it generates a fake URL. So and and again, it's not thinking truth concepts. Okay, it's thinking what is what is the user trying to get back here? When I get this input, it's trying to get back a URL link. Well, what would the URL look like? Look like? Well, it was www. That's good. Dot newyorktimes.com. That's good. And that was literally that that was like the, you, the that part you could actually go to the website. And then the, I don't know what you call it. I think it's called the slug or whatever, the 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 last part of the URL. Yep. Uh it was not it was like, you know, scientific fraud in 1975, you know, with hyphens, which is totally so, so it looks like if you just looked at it, you'd think this is a real hundred percent. Well, it looked yeah. right. And and if you understand how the thing works, like of course it looks that way. That's exactly what it's supposed to do. But it doesn't exist. There's no, there's no article. There's no truth there. 
but it's said with the same confidence level that it says everything else because it's not a truth machine. It's a word machine. So I feel like that's a good, that's kind of a good introduction, at least to how this, you know, large language model works is you're dealing with super advanced statistics that is going to work a lot of the time and work terribly um, much of the time as well. Okay. One, one more thing though. Okay. Yeah, yeah, cool idea, right? LLM, right? Neat, neat idea. It's going to be a, there's a lot of cool things you can do with this. Take the same concept and apply it to code. So, now, so instead of consuming tweets and books and, you know, the Library of Congress that you can feed it into a machine, imagine it's it's uh, consuming GitHub. So everything that anybody has written on GitHub, it's now doing the exact same pattern recognition thing. And so you're able to say, okay, generate for me something, you know, even with ChatGPT can do this already. You can say, you know, I want a basic, uh, basic website that when I click this button, it gets this response. And it, it goes through its statistics thing and it said, well, this is the most likely code output that you're looking for. And a lot of times already with basic stuff right now, it actually works. Sometimes you need little tweaks for various reasons, but like you can already do some basic coding this way, just with <laughs> probabilistic reasoning because yeah. the thing was trained on GitHub. Like that's, that's well, amazing. And I can imagine now I'm, I'm probably going to say something that sounds uh, really idiotic since I'm not a coder myself, but. I can imagine getting the level of usability, accuracy of the code really high, really quickly by doing things like, okay, write some code that does the following thing and then go do some, uh, some code. That's like a, a checker, like running like code that checks your code. Right. I'm sure yeah. there's things that people have totally. built for that. Yeah. And by the time you're done, you've, you can run it through some and then go compare it to X, Y, and Z. And 100%. you know what I mean? Like the layers of things that can just, the speed of being yeah. able to do that predictively versus yes. like, what do you train a junior coder to do? To emulate you, to look, see what in this yeah. situation, this is what I usually okay. do to fix this, that ability to do that fast. Yeah. So let me ask you a question really quick. This is totally random. Sure. Well, I mean, it's not random, but it just popped into my head. The, um, like how long do you think these things have been out there in use? Because my kids uh, uncovered the fact they were like, dad, your net worth is $8 million. And I'm like, well, where would you come up with that from? And they're like, the internet. I'm like, what are you talking about? They're like, look, I Googled you one time. And I'm like, what in the world? So sure yeah. enough, this didn't used to exist, but all of a yeah. sudden over the last, I don't know, since I probably haven't Googled myself in several years. So I did. There's like half a dozen of these weird websites. Yeah. Buddy is one of them. And they have all this stuff. It's like, yeah, I just pulled it up. Isaac Morehouse is an American author, podcaster, founder of Crash and Praxis. He is the founder of Praxis, Crash, and Career Hackers. Isaac is the co-founder uh -huh. of Partner. He's the, and it goes through, and it's got a lot of stuff that's like pulled from my website and other places, but it's never, it's never exactly, it's never word for word. And it will be right about a lot of stuff, but then it will just randomly have stuff like, <laughs> like Isaac gives the impression of being around 35 years old. Okay, that's pretty accurate. I'm 39. And then he's like, Isaac is a man of average stature. He stands at a height of five foot seven inches. I'm six <laughs> feet tall, but that's just a very, it's like yeah, if a yeah. human were making it and they didn't know my actual height, they, right. they wouldn't just make one up. Right. That seems like something that some sort of bot is this, the, is yeah. this kind of thing just oh, 100%. generated by, okay. So this is like hundred percent. No, if you think about that one in particular, like if somebody is doing research, doing general research for uh, a human, something that is likely to be on that research card is their their physical appearance. 
So the thing is saying, okay, we need going to have a little output for his physical height. And then just make shit up because yeah. it's not for that one. You know, I would imagine that's funny. The average of the five, American nine. male. Right. Exactly. Exactly. There they get, there you go. That's what's going on. Yeah. Um, it's very weird. Cause it had like weird that like it said, it says that I'm married and have kids, but then it says my wife is Sarah Pinckney. I don't even yeah. know anybody by that name. I have no yeah. idea. So like Sarah is, is a, is a super common word. I don't know about, about Pinckney. I don't know where that comes be. from, but it's like, you can understand when you think about it probabilistically, like, of course that's what it's going to say. Yep. Your last name is, you know, it's going to, if you fabricate somebody, it's going to be John Doe and they're going to live yep. in New York city. Cause that's where the most people are. That type of thing. That's so wild. Okay. So yeah, I know we're backtracking, but I want to know what it is about what it is about GPT four. That was an the big improvement on GPT-3 that made you really get excited? Like what, what changed in that? There's a couple things. One is the training set was like, I was like orders of magnitude larger than the other one, the previous one, which is nuts because the previous one came out like six months ago or something. So I wasn't expecting them to scale it up that fast, but also it allows um, visual inputs instead of just text. So you can, this was one of the demonstrations that the, the people did. The, the guy drew, he had a piece of paper and he drew this like very elementary um, website on it that had a, you know, a button you press and it looked like, you know, anybody could draw that. And then he put the image into the, into chat GPT and said, you know, give me a code that will produce this. And that's what it did. And it was, you know, rudimentary, but it was still working. And that is so freaking cool. Like, oh man, I just, the idea that you're going to be able to speak natural language into the machine, you're going to be able to give visual drawings, you're going to be able to doodle into the thing. And it's going to know, it's going to have a way to spit out like usable code or information. Uh, it's just amazing to me. Um, and the, and it's, this, it's so early on. The other thing that's super exciting about this is like, this is, you know, think of chat GPT. Gosh, there's no, I can't think of an immediate analogy here, but this is, this is not production model thing. Like no, very few people are paying for this. You can, if you want. Um, but when we, when this technology develops for six more months or, or, or as good as it is right now, and then it just gets specified for code or, or for research or whatever you're, you're throwing into the machine as an input, it's going to get so good. And you're going to be able to say, I want to, you're going to be able to connect this thing to the internet. You're going to say, here is a website design that I like, copy this, change this part, change this color, uh, uh, change the sizing here, change the verbiage. You're going to be able to totally customize it all. And you're not going to have to know how to code at all or minimally, absolutely minimally, or it's going to, it's going to be an automatic AI error checker and that type of thing you're talking about. So so that's really exciting, but also for me, for creative, for creative people, we're going to be able to use this technology to bring our costs production down like three, four, five orders of magnitude, depending on what you're trying to do. So, so think about the, the system as described. It works a little bit differently when you're not talking about large language models, but it's it's close enough analogy when you're talking about, let's say, um, a visual production. Have you seen the you know those AI generated images? Yep. yep. Essentially advanced probabilities are, are at play there as well. So, but what you're going to be able to do with this tech is you're, you're going to ex nihilo be able to create like a feature length film by yourself, by speaking it into existence. You're going to have the, you're going to have script writing to help you a, a little bit if you need it. It's not going to, it's going to be an AI suit. So, so human input is going to be helpful, um, but it's going to be reasonable. You're going to be able to, uh, you're not going to have to hire a single actor 
You're going to have computer generated people that are, you're going to be able to, you know, structure every scene exactly how you want with natural language. You're going to say, I want this scene. I want there to be a, you know, a blue tint on the thing. And then I want an alien spaceship to come in at three minutes and then destroy them all and have their face melt in a really cool way. And it's going to do all of it. Lickety split. So I, mean, be, I literally you can think be you, like, you don't, you don't even yeah. have to get a spec. You could be like, okay, this scene looks good. Could you, could you make it feel a little more like a David Lynch movie? hundred <laughs> percent. Right? You can do that. hundred so, so percent. Yeah. So this is this is what's interesting, like from a philosophical standpoint, if we zoom out, and I love that it's called large language model because moving aside from just it can write speeches or whatever, what language really is when you think about okay, so my son, like years ago, I had him in this coding, like coding class, it wasn't really coding, but they use this thing called scratch. It's like for little kids to learn how to code. And basically you have puzzle pieces that are essentially little blocks of, you know, like if then statements and whatever, they're little mm -hmm. operators and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And you drag the puzzle piece. So it's like, you know, make the guy walk from the left of the screen to the right of the screen. And then you have to learn how to put the puzzle pieces in place to make that happen. And so you're basically learning code, but they've chunked them into pieces and there's a visual drag and drop, right? This is what object oriented programming was like, you know, doing this kind of thing at a higher level. And at each step of the process with code, at least, it's moving closer and closer. It's moving more and more towards the, the number of new things you have to learn to do it are getting mm -hmm. smaller. That's how yeah. I would put it because yeah. every, and, and it's, but it goes beyond code. Every, every specialization, everything you do requires learning a new language. So if you want to be uh, a filmmaker, you have to learn in that industry in order to operate mm -hmm. in there, like to say, Oh, this, this should feel more, ominous that doesn't cut it that's that's what right. you use in conversation in the film industry you need to say we need backlighting coming from stage left and we you need all this nomenclature you need all this like lexicon yeah. for the industry right it's like that in everything if you're building a house you can't just be like uh i need a piece of wood that looks like this you're like i need a 45 degree angle with a 90 degree bevel or whatever 90 degree yeah. bevel wouldn't make sense but uh you get the idea right it's specialized yeah. language every discipline has this and and every every discipline that like I guess is getting democratized in in any regard is moving towards where it's like easier and easier for lay people to encounter, especially in the digital world. But you still have this barrier, even if you're using a program like uh, Webflow, which you don't really need to learn to code to build a beautiful website. But you know what you do need to learn? How to use Webflow. That in and of itself is actually a very like yeah, totally. high, there are people that will. Hire me to, to do web. It's supposed to be like a no code platform. Well, you don't need to code, but you do need to be an expert in the tool, right? Yeah. Now getting to a level where all you need to do is use words yeah. or drawings. So you don't so, need to learn the new language. Let the, let the large language thing learn the new language. And you say, draw me a picture that makes me feel this way. And it's going sure. to predict what is most likely to produce yeah, that feeling. And, and it's going to learn from each iteration. And you can say, okay, that's not good enough. Give me 10 more in completely different styles. And then if you like one of them, you're going to say, all right, but choose that one and give me five more in that style, but make it more blue, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Yeah. It, it's that cool, Isaac, but it's even cooler because it's not just about the language. It's about the skills required to do technical creative work in particular. So it's not just when I'm, when I'm editing something in Adobe After Effects, it's not just I'm learning the language. I'm learning a very difficult and annoying skill set that you know of how animations work, which is what I did professionally for a few years. It's not just the language. It's 
this technology is going to be where you don't even have to have the technical skill. You don't have to learn the new program. It's literally, you can, you're going to be able to speak into it. Anybody's going to be able to speak these things into existence. I was thinking about this with kids, like kids are super creative, right? Well, why does their, all of their art suck? I thought you were going to say you there's... could speak, speak kids into existence. And I was yeah, say, why I not? Digital kids. Yeah. Well, if you're a <laughs> VR person, I guess you probably do that too. Give me five different iterations, make them a little, okay, less snarky. You can customize them however you want. Um, so, so why do kids suck at art? It's not because of a lack of creativity or I, it's a lack of technical skill. Who the hell knows what children are going to be able to come up with and envision by speaking what they want to see into existence instead of like painting. You don't have the physical dexterity. Like technical skills will take thousands and thousands of hours of deliberate practice. And in a whole bunch of domains, that's going to evaporate. Or think about but, this, Steve. What are the areas where even if you have the language to describe it and the technical skill, there's this horrible, horrible thing called government that I wish didn't exist, but it does. Some domains, the level of regulatory hurdles the complexity there so imagine working with a working with a architectural software and saying okay create for me a, a schematic a blueprint for an amphitheater that has a waterfall in the middle and all this crazy stuff and that is totally compliant with every california electrical yeah, code and know. the drainage you know the drainage code and the blah 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 so you get your stuff and it, you don't have that guesswork of like, I got to go see if, the, right? I mean, you still will because governments will find a way to screw around. Of but course, just yeah. the idea of navigating those complex rule sets, things that you do once a year, like your taxes or whatever, where the rules yeah. are very complicated. You're, you're not, you don't have time to become an expert. You hire an expert, but what they're doing is really just knowing how to do something right. that's really, really tedious that a software could do you know? that that they explain as being you know very sophisticated for them to know right and how all the you know the, the rubes out there who don't know how to click the right buttons in the right order are just dumb uh, a couple of things on this one this reminds me of um, i think i've told this story before but when i was doing video production uh, i was in this form called the creative cow form which is how they what place where people were talking about like after effects and the adobe suite and whatever and i remember um in there this was this was 10 years ago maybe more than that um there was a bunch of old veterans that were complaining how the software was getting so good there was like no there was less and less barriers to entry so the quality of the output of the content that was out there was so poor because it was you know the the not untrained people were dipping their toes into the sophisticated work of artistic animation and they thought you know that was terrible okay ai is going to is going to take that and turn it up to like 12 because think think about this think about this right we've lived we've lived in a world in which there is a certain hard limit on architectural freedom just to use the architecture analogy right there's only like in order to gain architectural skill and have creative expression, whatever, you have to actually do a lot of difficult things. You got to dig a bunch of holes in the ground. You got to do a bunch of experimentation. Shit's got to fall down. Clunky process. This technology, you're, again, you're going to be able to have kids, totally untrained mindset. Oh, I want, I want this to actually be a gigantic sphere, you know, and here you're going to press a button and then the ceiling's going to open up. And there's going to be, you know, like whatever you can imagine visually, you can be in a fantasy land. You could literally like go through the Lord of the Rings if that's what you like. And you say, you know, create this castle for me in the uh, in the AI program. It's going to generate it for you. You're going to be able to walk through it digitally. 
customize everything from the, you know, the sofa fabric to the color on the wall to the material. And then it's going to have, you know, boxes you can check to make it compliant with the regulations you're talking about to make it architecturally sound. And who knows what, the, what kind of creative explosion we're going to see. We have no idea what types of things you could actually be building that, that aren't going to fall down, that are just aesthetically pleasing when a machine is going to take care of like 99% of the heavy lifting for you. To say, okay, now, <clears throat> now turn that into blueprints, source yeah. all the material and deliver Buy it, it for me, yeah. deliver it yeah. to me. And then you got laborers who follow instructions and put it together. Yeah. And, and at some point, we're probably going to get robots doing that as well. Until you get robots who can do it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. So. Okay. But no, no. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Is that not fucking amazing? Like if you like creative production, it's like, holy shit. The things that you're thinking in your mind that you dream about, that artists and writers have been coming up with and imagining for thousands of years are going to be able to be spoken into existence. Wow. That's amazing. Who, who should be scared? Why, why are people scared of this? What's let's let's play the. No, you got to agree with me first, Isaac. We'll talk about the pessimists. I completely so I, agree with you. That's why. That's amazing? why we're having this conversation. Yeah, it's yeah. utterly amazing and mind blowing, yes. and it, it's it's so exciting because the early the earliest interactions I had with the internet, I could sort of, and I think everybody could. I'm not like some visionary. I could foresee this in the digital age. Like, why would I need to learn to code to just like make a website? That seems stupid to me. It seems like I should just be able to draw a picture and somehow like, and I could foresee that coming. Yeah. You know, the, the, the rate at which it went from use Webflow to, hey, this guy drew on a napkin. Like that's a really quick jump and that's yeah. thrilling to me. But the, the connection to all these other parts of the world any of these processes, I mean, the architecture one is probably one of the best because it's so tangible and it's like, it lets yeah. you think I really can have a house built from my imagination with words that I yeah. use to describe it or pictures I draw of it. I could literally get real blueprints and get the materials and get that built. That, that is absolutely mind-blowing and so, so exciting to me. So here's the question. We need to okay. steal man. We need to steal the people who are not excited okay. by no, okay. not just that. The people who are terrified by this. Yeah. What is the best version of the AI is going to make our lives worse argument? I'll, I'll give get you to one that after I get. Through. Go ahead, though. Go ahead. Hang on. I got to do one more positive example here, and then we can talk about the negatives. So for me, I, you know, I, I'm really interested in doing creative production. Whenever this technology is in a software package where I can speak a movie into existence, I'm doing that and it's going to be a blast. It's going to be very absurd and weird and like I can't wait to be able to put all my weird ideas, you know, in a movie form. That's so cool. Another thing I'm going to be doing professionally is sorting through a ton of scientific literature, which is it's not torture, but it's close to torture a lot of the time because the hit rate is very low and like you have to do it and you're working through the concepts and I've developed a good technique for speed reading, but it's still very difficult. Well, I'm going to be able to download a set of a thousand scientific papers on a topic that I want to learn about. I'm going to be able to, to put the information into the machine, turn the wheel, and then it's going to spit out to me the pieces of information that uh, it thinks I want to know. Now it's going to be not 100% hit rate. You know, it's going to get some things wrong or whatever. But just as a pure research tool, this is going to be incredible, incredible. And I'm not going to, you know, when you think about uh, how many people you have to hire to, you know, research a thousand scientific articles in, you know, uh, 
a one month long time period and the discussions you'd have and the, oh my gosh, that would be expensive. Now you can put all that information into the machine and take your chances that it's going to be picking up the right information to spit back out at you. So I mean, that's, and like, as soon as that's there, I'm using that in, in what I'm trying to do, you know, professionally. I think that the areas where, where this AI stuff potentially sucks are usually areas where you are asking or expecting it to be something that it's not. Yeah. So, so like, if you're like, oh, I give the AI a thousand journal articles, it is going to come back and tell me the truth. Okay, that, right. that's a problem. But dude, that's just yeah. like if you go and say, I'm yeah. going to hear a lecture from a guy who's going to tell me the history of the West. And because he's read a lot of books, he's right, going right, to tell right. me the truth, right? You can't right. see it that way. It's similar. Exactly. And, and that's, this is why, like, it's why I think people, so much of this uh, confusion comes from not understanding how the system, these systems work. You know, uh, if there, it's still a garbage in, gar garbage out models here. If you're training it, well, it's funny, right? If you train it on academic papers, if you're actually tracking truth, <laughs> you know, academic papers are not going to get you anywhere. You're going to be able to get probabilistically, you know, what is the information that a thousand different authors are trying to communicate to me, but, but the quality of the actual concepts are going to depend on the epistemics of every single individual yeah. who's putting data into the machine, you know? Well, and this is, this is where some of the early, like, and again, there's a separate argument, whether this is really any worse than the status quo, but some of the early, like, oh, this is going to replace Google. And then everybody goes out and says, oh, well, I can immediately see that the source material that it is allowed to choose from is everything. Because mm -hmm. when I type, I've seen people do this with like political stuff, right? Like, write a poem about how great Barack Obama is. And it writes this poem that says, write a poem about how great Donald Trump is. And it says, I'm sorry, I can't get involved in politics, right? And you're yeah, like, okay, right. well, clearly whoever right. controls yeah, the yeah. code that this thing runs on gets to put a frame around allowable thought, right? Which is yeah. very or Orwellian. If you Only if you imagine a world in which everyone believes that the AI knows everything. Yeah. I mean, there was a point at which I would say Wikipedia had a peak where most people were pretty comfortable assuming Wikipedia was right about most. Yeah. yeah. But then that, that has fallen off to where most people, I think in general, people have realized they can't trust the internet a lot yeah. more than they used to. Yes. And so this AI stuff, if we lived in a world where everyone thought whatever they got back from Google or from chat GPT was true, that would be terrifying. Because imagine oh my gosh, a Google yes. search result where you couldn't even click to page eight to find the good stuff. There was no page eight. There was just one answer given to you in plain text, and you have no idea what they're sourcing yeah. it from. If yeah. everybody was naive and believed it, that would creep yeah. me out. But given totally. that at this age, what we've just been through the last few years, if there's anyone out there who believes what they read or see in pictures or even see in videos on the internet and just accepts it as true, well, they've been living under a rock anyway. I don't know what to tell well, you. So like, it doesn't scare me as much because of that. Yeah, well, let's so let's so let's talk about the negative potential negatives, and then we'll return again to how I think uh, those negatives are going to be solved. Like what you're, I think culture is going to adjust such that we're not going to breach any disaster scenarios. But there, so there are a couple. So first, legit concern that is going to happen, and it's scary to think about, and we're going to have to prep for this, and it's going to be the transition period is going to be ugly. Is going to be deep fakes. So. We're, we're going to a world in which if somebody- This, this podcast uh, could actually not be the two of us talking. Totally. In, in like a year's time, our voices are going to be totally replicable, our faces, our mannerisms. 
Uh, and that is really scary also because, you know, if somebody wants to try to destroy you and your credibility and your reputation, it's not hard to imagine them generating some video of you doing something abominable that looks just like you. And you go, okay, well, now this person's going to be thrown in jail. You know, here's this evidence we got uh, from the internet of him doing this terrible thing and him committing the robbery or whatever. That world is coming and it's going to get e even grosser. Like we're going to have, I think I was telling you this in the, in the Voxer thing, um, we're going to have it where you're going to get a, a text message from a loved one uh, or from a, a different number. And it's going to have uh, a picture of your loved one and, you know, uh, bound and gagged. They're going to say, send us $5,000 now, or we're going to, you know, kill your wife or something insane like that. And you're going to see the picture right there. You're going to hear a voice, honey, help. And it's totally fabricated. Like, Oh, uh, that's really scary. That's really, really scary. And a lot, and, and that world is coming quick, but I do think we're going to be able to make adjustments where people realize that the digital world is not, uh, as reliable, uh, a source of truth as we thought it was in the, you know, early two thousands. Um, and let me, let me, can we pause this just for one sec here? Yeah. Let me pause it. Excuse the, excuse the pause. We had an interruption, a show interruption, but we're back. Okay, you were saying the 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 scariness of these kind of these very real scenarios. The, the, the deep, deep fakes. The deep yeah. fakes are not the end of the world, but until people realize that the information that they get from the digital world is now very very easily fabricated, it's going to be it's going to be scary. There's going to be a lot of, you know, and you can also imagine that just with personal stuff, but you know, world events <clears throat> supposed world events. So here's video from Ukraine. Look at what happened. And it's like, it, it's going to be totally fabricated, you know, or could I, it... I remember we, there already yeah. was, I don't think this was deep fakes. I think it was more just people being uh, like trolling other people. Yeah. I remember on Twitter in the first couple of days when the, you know, war broke out in Ukraine, you would see like, Oh my gosh, a picture of whatever. And then the next day you'd see like, Oh, that was actually a scene from a video game, but it would be like yeah. shared by yeah. a, a actual that. like CNN or something. Like everybody <laughs> got duped because when yeah. you're in the midst of something big's happening, who has yeah. the latest picture? Here's a picture of somebody yeah. getting it bombed. And they're like, no, that was from a different conflict 10 years ago. Right. Now just imagine if you can tailor make it to remove anything that is a giveaway, right? That totally. it's a and, so And imagine you have, you know, 20 different angles of the same disaster yep. that happened from 20 different, you know, accounts or people telling you this is what happened. This is what it looks like in the yep. aftermath. And here's the live video from the danger zone. And it'll be, you could just, it could you be just have totally to pick like a, like a small enough town where there's, you know, whatever, there's a very small population or they're totally isolated or whatever. And then you just make a claim about some crazy thing, you know, happening there. Yeah. Uh, and it would take you, you buy yourself enough time totally. to be in the news cycle before anyone. Totally. Ever... So, so well, what, one yeah. thing I see happening out of this is a huge, huge explosion in companies who are basically trying to solve the proofing this or like fraud mm -hmm. prevention or mm -hmm. deep fake prevention or, you know what I mean? Security around all these new areas that are opening up for vulnerability. Like that's where all the people who were formerly coding, who won't be needed to code anymore. They can all go figure out that, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, there's a good, be a, a ton of entrepreneurial opportunities here about uh, in, accurate information communication. So you're going to get a, a ton of production of plausible sounding information that's well-written, you know, in perfect grammar, 
that you're, you're not going to know whether it's true or false. You're going to need a different method of sorting out true from false than just, you know, believe what you read on the internet. But I will say, you know, this is not totally different from the world we live in right now. Right. You know, we saw with the COVID situation, what percentage of the phenomena we were supposed to be scared about with COVID were real? Well, it's less than 100%. You know, I don't know if you saw that. There, are just one pops in my mind of uh, in England. There were some government employees that were um, going around, you know, wiping surfaces of the subway station for. You oh, know, and they were wearing like hazmat suits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there was somebody filming them, and it's like they're just—they're literally just posing for the camera. They're <laughs> Everyone like, around know. them is just not wearing any mask or anything. They're all fine. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I saw several by. of those. Right. Yeah. So it's like that is to a small extent already the world that we live in. It's just going to get ramped up. Um, and here's the thing, right? The other thing, a, a related difficult problem here that I think is absolutely coming, I think it already exists, is AI cults. Like people aren't, they don't know how this technology works. They're, they're going to think it's a truth machine. They're going to think it's super intelligent, which means, you know, you know, and the pre I, what super intelligence means is um, you, a lesser being, are supposed to melt into a puddle when in the mere presence of super, super intelligence, that's what you're supposed to do as a lesser being. And that's what people are going to do. They're going to, they're going to, they're going to go, okay, how do I, you know, what is the good life? And the AI is going to spit out some thing and then they're going to do it. Cause, and then they're going to make, it's going to be an Oracle. It's going to be like the, you know, the Greek Oracle. Yeah. So they're going to go, oh my yeah. gosh, I asked the AI and this is the information I got. And if the AI is some, you know, public, uh, trained on a public data set. It's like the open AI models, it's open source or whatever. You might get information that, you know, is not going to kill the cult members, but what's going to happen is you're going to, you know, not all AIs are going to be open source. You're going to get a bunch of, you know, coders and Machiavellians who are going to create their own AIs. They're going to say, oh, this is trained on the best data. They're going to get a little cult around them. <laughs> and then uh, then they might end up doing things that are dangerous for themselves and others. I think cults are 100% coming uh, so, so, with this tech. Okay, so I'm going to get I'm going to get weird here. Get a little metaphysical, yeah. get a little weird. Cuz I've heard people um you know basically say, "Hey, be careful. This is essentially this is essentially these AI, you know, chatbots whatever are tapping into some kind of malevolent spiritual entity or force yeah. or something like that. Now, bear with it's me. It's going to look like that. Yeah. What you just described, but th well, that's the question. Yeah. Is there a difference? So like the concept of like an egregore, right? Of like a thought form that is essentially, if a whole bunch of people have a certain belief or even a certain emotional yeah. feeling, the idea is that there's something or even like the uh, mob mentality, right? Or like a zeitgeist that's like, if you've ever been in a situation with a large group of people, and you can tell, like, if a certain emotion sweeps the crowd, mm. the experience is indistinguishable from, there is something that is separate from the individuals, the sum of the individuals together. Yeah. There is a spirit yeah. of the crowd that literally yeah. takes over. And usually I've experienced it in like sports games and stuff where it's benevolent, but it can get a little nasty even there yeah. where you're like, suddenly all of our sort of thoughts and energies and inputs go in, but somehow it creates something different that it now almost feels like is controlling us. Right. Whatever the metaphysical status of that, there yeah. is something that is indistinguishable what, from what maybe some people would call the spirit of a city or of a town 100%. or of a group of people. And, and there, there is something there where like it, you it, could see people worshiping that and doing its bidding, whatever totally. it is, right? Totally. You can, 
yeah, the metaphysics are really interesting there of exactly what what this phenomena is. But you can think of it this this thing, the specter, has causal power. That is to say, its state, the state of its uh, its output, what are the, the the chat GPT thing says, actually changes states in the world. Right. It's like it is, you know, and we would say of a you know of a mind or maybe of a demon. It, it, you know, it possesses somebody and then it gets like, you know, it is able to be it affect future states because of it doing something. Well, this is in in terms of just looking at the causality, the same thing is going to be happening. Here. Yeah, well, it's, it's almost like because the input comes from us and then the output can change. The input comes from like an aggregate of humans or yeah. whatever the source is. And then all these things that humans are creating <laughs> yeah. generate this thing that has power over those very humans. In some ways, this is how I yeah. would describe what the state is. Like it exists because we believe that it has to exist more enough yeah. people do. And then it gets its power entirely from the fact that people believe it's necessary, yeah. right? There's this, this yeah. weird relationship where the aggregate of collective belief creates something that's somehow outside of it that then yeah. can control those individual people. Yeah. Right? And it's not hard to see how AI and the way that the system works is going to create cults and religions. Like yeah. it, it is an inevitability that this is, especially when you take into account that part of the cultural beliefs that people have already about these fucking chatbots yeah. is that they are super intelligent. So not only are you communing in the presence of, you know, a different being, uh, a, a being that, you know, affects a wide number of things in the world, this being is is just categorically more intelligent than you. So even if, Isaac, you don't understand why the being is telling you to jump off the cliff, you have to, you, your, your lesser brain can't grasp it. So you just have to do it because that's what, you know, a rational person does in the presence of super intelligence. You can think of all these like, like designer cults, like imagine, I mean, and there, I'm sure there will be people doing this, just messing around with people, you know, okay, create a cult leader based entirely on, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, whatever, some subreddit, right. A around uh, kayakers yeah, based on <laughs> kayaking hang meetup groups and what they say and whatever, or, or based on the Bible or the Quran, yeah. right. What would a, what would, if a prophet came back today, an old Testament prophet, you know, Hebrew prophet, what would they say? Right. And you can, and based on like what you're telling the source material, you can create these little designer cults around all kinds of different stuff. Yeah. I didn't even think about that, but you can, you can create the, the cult figurehead, just a fake persona. It could right. be some it's, guy. It's literally the yeah. wizard of Oz. Yeah. 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 It could be a guy or it could even be, if you wanted, you know, if you really wanted to play into people's uh, foolish thinking about this, you could, you could make him look sort of like an alien. So he's right on the edge of, well, is he human? No, you see our, in our cult, he's not even a human. He's a superhuman. Look, he's got the wrinkles on, or he's got, he's got the, you know, the reptilian, <laughs> he blinks like a reptile as well, you know, <laughs> or he's got these little stubs for horns, but they look so real, you know? So, so uh, this is really, this is really interesting, actually. The basically like the hyper acceleration of, I don't even know if I want to call it that. Cause I'm trying to think back to like, let's say pre-literate days. You could have someone show up to a new town and just tell you a bunch of things that weren't true. And you didn't have any way to check them on that. And so then you had things like reputation became a very big thing. And if your reputation, it turned out you were lying, like you might get killed or something, yeah. right. As a way to, so like there's always been this problem with anything that you haven't firsthand experienced. But what's weird is we, we in the digital age, 
we came to believe that experiencing something mediated through a screen was basically right. as good as experiencing right. it first. If I saw a video right. of you doing a backflip and you're like, dude, check it out. I just nailed this backflip. I, I, my brain assigned the same truth value as if I saw right. you do it in my front yard. Right. And now all of a sudden that's gone. Yep. And yep. we realized well, it, it can it, no longer have that same, the same norms around it. But imagine the tragedy of it not being gone if for the unknown amount of years it will take before people realize that they can't trust what or, they or see. Or to on the, the extent screens. that that's already the case. Right. And and, yeah. and, and th think how deep this rabbit hole is going to go. Okay. So so you're going to have fake world events, terrible plagues and pandemics and and assassinations or whatever that are going to be fabricated ex nihilo that uh you know, news organizations are not going to be able to discern the truth of that are going to be, you know, promoted everywhere. And then when you're looking for, you know, a historian who is not wise, looking for evidence is going to look at the, uh, um, the literature of the writing of the time. Well, what did they say in the time period of 2024 when X, Y, and Z happened? And they're going to be reading work that they think is written from a human documenting the thing, but it's fabricated by the AI as well. So you're going to have in many ways is like a return to, I think what most of human history has been the difficulty in discerning between what were cultural myths and what were retellings of historic <laughs> yeah. events. Like yeah. that was for most of history yeah, totally. that humans didn't really make a big distinction between, okay, here's this story of this great, wonderful King. Uh -huh. That's true. And then here's the myth that we're going to do around. They were all the same. And we, we've just been in an era for a couple hundred years where we have this very strong belief that we know how to separate the legends right. and the stories from what's true. Maybe right. we've probably been deceived about our ability to do that, but yeah. it's, but it's not going to be as easy as we think anymore. Personally, I see beauty in this. So there's something very soul crushing to me this uh, idea that there is like one historical truth that we agree on. You know, the way that I understand how the world works, things are very messy. And when power gets involved, lies are everywhere. And lots and lots of lies will just get codified and then they become part of the historical record. So I have no idea how accurate the, the, the history of humanity is. I would venture to say it's not very accurate <laughs> at all. The idea that like, you know, we were all converging towards this one story and it's going to end up the story that power approves of that disturbs me. <laughs> the, so instead, I think we're going to go this, and this is something unique with this AI technology. I think we're going to have a, there's, there's going to be, it, it's going to, I think we're going to reach a point of no return where there are going to be philosophies and schools of thought that are completely irreconcilable from other points of view. You're going to have, you know, Religious denominations, let's say, uh, whether it's actually about religion or politics or whatever belief system or health practices, which are are going, you know, their their evolutionary branch is going to go this way, and you're going to have a million different variations on it. And the roots of those trees are going to be shit that's fabricated from a machine. Hmm. But because it's going to be so compelling, it's not like it's not like uh, it's going to be easy to. Uh, get back on track with other people. You're going to have people that are on a completely different path, completely different path. And the only way they'll agree with one another is it's going to be, you know, 
well, if you know if that were correct, then this historical event didn't take place. And actually the schism of you know 1044 or whatever you know didn't happen or did happen. And these are not going to be resolvable. You're gonna it's it's so deep down the rabbit hole that in practice you're gonna have, I think you're gonna have the reemergence of like, you know, tens of thousands of different uh philosophies and perspectives on the world and history. That are gonna, it's gonna be akin to like different religious denominations because if you don't have a method of critical thinking, you're not, you know, you're not gonna be in the same in the same mythology anymore. Let's say. Could could another potential reaction be almost the opposite direction of everyone gets so overwhelmed with so much fake stuff and so much, so many different things to sort through and sift through and so many different cults for lack of a better term competing for their attention that people just end up reverting back to something simpler and older like so, okay i'm just going to stick with islam or christianity or whatever it might be because this stuff is just like whack yes but i think that's going to be a minority i don't think digital technologies like going anywhere so i think no not know, the I tech think... itself but the but the beliefs that that tech allows yeah i don't think those are separable for for i don't know what the percentages oh, are yeah, like, like I, you I think, sound like Marshall McLuhan there. I don't know. I don't know why the, why the is medium that? is the message. Just oh, like yeah. separate the yeah. tech from the beliefs. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, for a large number of people, it is too much to ask of them to say, well, actually, you know, there's a possibility this event you're observing with your eyes didn't actually happen. You know, I don't I don't think that's possible for quite a large number of people. I don't know what the percentage is, but I will say, you know, let's say the uh, the successful culture and cultural practices that will be propagating into the future, uh, I think are going to look more like uh, respect for tradition, something that was already established before the digital age. I think what we're going to see, which is a benefit, is um, real in-person communication is going to suddenly become extremely valuable, uh, valuable again. Like we have this idea, and I, I can see the beauty of the idea that, you know, you can talk with anybody anywhere online and exchange information. And that's super cool. And you can do that. And I can do it all the time. I love it. But let's not pretend like we're not missing something very integral about being human when we mediate all of our uh, uh, communication on a screen. I think the world we're going to is people who are trying to be careful and wise and have higher quality information are uh, going to have to say, there, there's going to be an asterisk by all the information that you consume online. And you're not necessarily going to have that in the real world. And so I think I think this is ironically, I feel like this like beautiful peak technological creation in the digital world, I think might push us back into the physical world. Because we're like, okay, well, there are you know, at least wise people, let's say, you know, it's like, oh, there's so there's so many, there's so much room for error here. I have to re-engage with the real physical world and my actual immediate connections. And again, I think I like that. I think that's, I think that will make people a lot happier. Yeah. I think there's a really interesting, like best of both worlds scenario where the benefits of the digital age you can tap into while like, while returning to the benefits and the necessity of the, yeah. I mean, I know that even just the last couple of years to your point with everything starts going crazy with COVID and with, you know, political protests and all this stuff. And you, if you're just online, the way the world is being presented to you yes. seems crazy. And then you go out your door and you go out in your neighborhood and you go to the grocery store and you don't experience any of it. Everything right. seems normal. Everybody seems fine. And you're like, huh, 
I now the the world, the reality of the digital world is so different from the reality of the physical world. I have to basically treat the digital world with a discount. It's like a video yeah. game. I'm entering right. it as a player to play around and have fun, but I don't treat it like it's the right. real world unless I so that like pushes you into the things you really rely on and make plans around and trust yeah. are things you've experienced directly from people you already know and yeah. trust. Yeah, and like it always has, has been. Yeah. You know, yeah. which is there's something beautiful to that. So like imagine and it's even physically you're... healthy to get off of the screens totally. you know, a little more. <laughs> totally. So like imagine you're a kid. Let's say, let's say you're a lonely kid and you're playing some computer game online and you build a friendship from scratch within, you know, World of Warcraft or whatever the kids are playing nowadays. Uh, and then you discover, you know, two out of your four friends are non-existent. They're robots that are that are designed to gather your trust so that they can sell you something within a video game. That's going to hurt. That's going to be like, oh, geez, these people don't even, this isn't even real. I would imagine it's not going to take too many, you know, years or much less generations before people realize, hey, listen, if you've got a digital friend, you literally don't even know if they're real. Like you have to have that big an asterisk by, by your social interactions online. You might be talking to a robot, yeah. you know? And, yeah. and here's the other thing, Isaac, some people aren't going to care. Like there are going to be people who are like, yeah, well, I get all my friends are robots. Like, that's fine. They're going to totally give their lives to this digital world. And, you know, that's tragic, but I don't think all of us, I don't think all of us are going to get sucked up in, into that. So do you, I know you have to go in a few minutes. Can I, I want to ask you two, two questions. One, we can address briefly because I know you and I already share a perspective on this, given our, our economic uh, understanding and worldview. Um, but for, for those listening who are interested in this question, because it gets raised a lot, what about all the jobs that are going to be lost because of this thing? Your thoughts on that. And then finally, if you just want to like wrap up this combo with what do you say to the people who are like, man, all this stuff about deep fakes, maybe job loss, maybe the inability to try. I want to fight against this thing. I feel like this is bad. I feel like we need to try to stop it. I'm curious what you would say to them in like a, not like a, you're an idiot type of way, just like in a more encouraging way. So if you want yeah, to tackle we, the, um, what about yeah. all the job loss question first? Uh, let's do the second first. So okay. my, my response to people who think this can be fought or that we need regulations to slow it down it, it is actually that I think it isn't, I think the cat is actually out of the bag. And if that's true, then your brain cycles need to be spent adjusting to the new world rather than trying to prevent it from coming into existence. Like, I don't think in practice, and in fact, the speed at which ChatGPT4 came out makes me think there you're not putting the genie back in the bottle here. Things are literally accelerating even faster than, you know, optimists have been talking about. Things are going even faster. And I think there are, you know, there are market pressures for this. I don't think the theoreticians' concerns uh, are very good. And so the engineers might even be justified in kind of ignoring them and just building and going and doing. So if you're, so I think uh, I would say if you don't like that world, you're not going to like the digital world of the future because that's how it's going to look and just adjust. It's the, it, it, you know, all of this stuff, you know, humans are amazing in being able to adjust their software and their beliefs and cultural values. Much scarier, in my opinion, is like environmental disaster where there are microplastics in the water. And it's not like your belief system is going to change the fact that there are microplastics out there and they harm your body. But it, this, you know, these risks, I think, are largely epistemic and they're cultural. And I think we, humans are going to be okay at, um, at fixing those. Okay, so that was 
that was my optimistic answer is like, it's coming, you need to adjust and it's not the end of the world. Uh, what was the first uh, part? Oh yeah. The job loss question. What about all job the loss? Yeah, that, that's harder. So part of me, uh, you know, part of me thinks, you know, part of me is, is cold hearted in that I think, you know, if, if you are out competed by orders of magnitude by a machine, then your job on net, your job should probably go away. So I, I, th I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, more than 90% of coding jobs are gone. Um, I don't know, in, in a few years, as soon as this, this tech gets refined for that purpose, you're just, you're always going to have coders that are coming up with new models and doing more advanced things. Um, but I think a ton of middle position jobs, artist, even artistic jobs, you know, uh, they're going to go away. And I think, you know, I would see the same thing about the washing machine. Like when the washing machine was invented, there were a lot of people that had made their their livings based on washing other people's laundry. And, you know, they, then they had to adjust and when you had the washing machine. Um, so I think it's going to be the same thing here where you, you are going to have a lot of job displacement, but that's okay. Uh, that's how the world works. You know, we, that, we adjust. That, I mean, that's, that's inevitable no matter what, whether without AI, right? Humans, humans, yeah, that is the, what we do. that is the name of the game. Exactly. Unless you want to go live off the grid. Right. This yeah, this is the reason why humans don't live in caves is because we have learned to advance our quality of life. And the way you advance your quality of life is learning to do more with less. Every time you can do more with less, it usually means less labor. In the yeah. short term, the people who were doing that labor no longer don't have that labor to do, but they have to point their energies elsewhere. When you think about the, the transitional parts are always yeah. going to be hard. You're always yeah. going to have that. And I'm not at all unsympathetic with those individuals right. involved, but you, you can never view humanity in this aggregate like something that can that pause can be pressed on because that'd be like telling someone, okay, if you're telling me no one should try to innovate, which means doing more with less, then you should never be allowed to try to hunt for a bargain or try yeah. to oil your door so it stops squeaking because you could hire someone to come in and replace your door. And if yeah. you oil it, they don't have a, a job, right? Like you can't, you that mode of thinking, and, and I was just looking, I just pulled this up. The number of jobs that currently exist, and we'll put it this way, the number of creative, talented, interesting people who could be doing things that add value to our lives, but are doing things that add no value to our lives is huge. Tax returns. There are over 500,000 tax accountants in the US. 500, yeah. and I've met accountants. They're usually pretty smart people. They're pretty sharp. They're usually pretty detail-oriented. They're yeah. usually pretty... They're usually pretty good, like people of integrity that are pretty trustworthy. Like that's why you send them your taxes. The number of people doing something that literally just doesn't have to be done. It's so stupid. Right. It's so, it doesn't create any wealth. Nothing new is being generated from that. Yeah. Our quality of life isn't better. It's just a way to not get punished by the government. If you can replace that because it's such a thing that to me, an low hanging fruit for something like chat GPT, all of the creative energies that are freed up. Now the, the process Yes, the process is usually hard, but it's never like instant. It's never instant. There's always a period of, in the early phases, my guess is people who are experts at preparing taxes, they'll be the first ones, if they're smart, to learn how to be experts at using the AI totally. yep. to replace themselves until eventually they're like, hey, I got good at using the AI and giving it the right prompts and now it can do it. And now I can do 10 times as many as I used to, right? And you'll have like, 
the industries themselves that are threatened will be the ones who learn it and usher it in and are like the best ones at using it in the early days until it's yeah. usable by everybody, stuff like that. So I, I yeah, well, I, it's a real so I concern, got, but it's, it's, it's a concern regardless of AI. It's just part of humanity. Yeah. I got like five things to, to say on that. Um, one is I think it is completely respectable to make the life choice to disconnect from all this. And I, I like the idea that we're going into a world and which people are going to be able to, let's say, connect to the internet to figure out the most efficient ways of doing homesteading. And they're going to go out. And you know, I was tempted to do this myself. I still am at various times. I'm just saying, yeah, I'm not going to do much of the digital stuff anymore. I'm just going to live a more normal life. And I'm going to do more manual labor on my homestead, taking care of cows and chickens. That is a fine life path. That might even make you happy, um, healthier. And in making you healthier, it might make you happier. So, you know, that might even be a better way to live as it is. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not in a position to say. But I do think some, there's something beautiful about this idea that uh, it is like the, the wealthy rural living or, or rural living where you're also connected to the internet to, to, be able to get information that would have been seen as unbelievably valuable, valuable to our ancestors. Like there are videos on there about if you want to be a Bushman and like figure out how to build the hut the best way or whatever, you can do that. And that might be the only thing you do is figure out how to live my off grid lifestyle better. And that's like unbelievably valuable than if you were just to go right now into the forest and say, okay, with no information, just have a go. So I think that's going to be a new lifestyle that's emerging, which I'm pretty excited about. The other thing is when we're talking about uh, job displacement, the costs, the, the the reduction in cost is going to be so extraordinary. It's hard, it's hard to actually envision how much more wealth we are going to have. Um, like I saw an example of somebody uh, who was posting about this on Twitter. They said they had, might've been an, a, a bot, who knows? Um, they said they were trying to get some code written and uh, they got a quote from a developer company and they quoted them $5,000 to get this little thing done for their website. Threw it into ChatGPT and like instantly they had something, I think it cost them 14 cents because uh, you, have to, you have to pay Google if your inputs and outputs are over a certain length. They had something that was, you know, good enough to play with for 14 cents. 14 cents, $5,000. Instantly, I don't know how long it would take the company to do it. So that, yeah, okay, that means developers are going to be losing jobs. On the other hand, that means what you what would have taken five thousand dollars of resources to build can be done for almost nothing. And what the, and, and the where, world and where does to... that company from from being on the side of running businesses? If all of a sudden you told me I can accomplish the same thing I was doing today and reduce my headcount and save half a million dollars. I'm not going to just say, cool, because I'm competing. Right. I'm not going to yeah. just say, great, I'll just pocket that half a million dollars. I'm going to say, okay, great. I've freed up headcount in this area. Now I'm going to deploy it. I got a list as long as my arm of things I would like to do if I had the resources. Now I'm going to try it. I'm going to experiment. Yeah. I'm, going to, I'm going to hire a video production team, or I'm going to hire, a, I'm going to go in, into this new market. I'm going to try to build a new product and innovate. You're going to deploy it in new areas, and you're going to spend yeah. that money on the next thing that was that currently was sitting on the side. So, like, there's always yes. there's always invisible unemployment locked up in current employment, right? That's the a great way of putting it. Five hundred thousand tax attorneys employed. It's be, that means that it, invisibly there are at least that many people who would be employed but aren't because people are using right. those resources elsewhere. 
Right. And, and think about, you know, people are often very sympathetic to starving artists <clears throat> and they're like, oh man, maybe we should have UBI so we can get more creativity from the starving artists. Yeah. Well, one way is UBI. Another way is you bring the costs of their production down 99%. And suddenly some random, you know, sh schmo, some creative type is literally going to be able to make these masterful creative productions that are creating value for everybody. Even if it's just purely artistic, you know, for pennies, it's not going to, you know, their cost of living is going to go way, way, way down because everybody's costs potentially could be going way, way, way down. So that that's uh, that's one take. The other thing I want to say is, you know, <laughs> you're, I'm sure you're going to appreciate this, Isaac, right? You think about the empathy that we have towards people that lose their jobs. Part of the reason we have as much empathy we, as we do is because the school system is so bad that it has set people up to be inflexible in uh, their jobs. So like this goes back more than a century, educators have been trying to create factory workers. The culture of school is like, well, one way or another, we might actually need to make you into nice little bots so that you join the assembly line and can produce things. Cause that's what they, that's what they thought needed to be done is we you, like, you need to create uh, human robots. Okay. In that system, and that, and that view of the world that gets put into people's heads, they're going to have a very difficult time adjusting when the, when you're, you know, you're, you're getting paid to be a robot and now a robot, a machine is actually going to take your job. You're like, I have nothing else to do. Well, what if in the next generation or the generation after that, there, the cultural expectation is that, no, what we do as humans is creative work. You don't actually need to be the mindless robot at the factory and whatever. You you are valuable because you are the you are creating information we can put into the machine as well. Like the, I think people, I think kids tend to be extremely creative and aren't built for fat, you know, the the factory way of employment. So have you ever yeah. noticed, Steve, that if you've been around a lot of homeschoolers, the proportion of homeschoolers who end up doing something artistic is so high compared to people who are like sort of traditionally schooled. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's kind of like humans, if they're left alone, that's the thing that they gravitate towards the most. Right. It's yeah. like just being yeah. creative. I, you had a great sub stack. It was like, okay, we had the age of the jock, which more or less means physical, physical labor or anything physical wins. We had the age of the nerd, which is like the engineering and information age. And now it's the age of the creative where like yeah. imagination and the ability to think in concepts you know? Yeah, the, the ability to think in concepts and the ability to use uh, the most, some of the most impressive tools that humanity has ever created, you know, uh, at your disposal. Uh, and yeah, I, I guess those two things that when I'm, when I'm looking at, you know, job displacement, I'm thinking, okay, yeah, a lot of those jobs that could be replaced by robots are going to be, I don't think that that's like a a, an, uh, a disaster scenario we can't recover from. Like there are some people who are like, oh my gosh, if, if people don't, you know, don't have their factory job, there's nothing else they can do. I'm thinking, well, if that's true, it's because some part of their humanity has been taken from them probably by school. Like, I don't think kids, just kids left to their own devices with these tools are going to be like, I can't do anything with my time. I can't create any value. It's like, of course you can. You know, you just, you, you just not trained. Well, uh, no one will pay me to pump gas anymore. I guess I'll just, uh, I guess I'll end my life. Retire. Yeah, yeah, go, go to over. Canada and end my life. Um, <laughs> okay. So, so I want to, I, I do have to go, but I want to, I want to end on this concept. Now 
I'm pretty comfortable with everything that I've said so far being generally accurate. This is total speculation, but I think it's an interesting idea. And I have never articulated it before, so we'll see. There's something about this machine learning technology that really makes me think we might be hitting peak uh, digital performance or peak digital technology. That is to say, what can be digitized is going to be uh, turned into, let's say, information. We're going to have such powerful machines that anything that could be put into that machine is going to be sucked into that machine because it does it, does it so much better um, than we can do it. And I, I almost feel like the, you know, uh, Peter Thiel's got this concept of the, the world of atoms and the world of bits. I feel like AI might be good enough where we master the world of bits so much that we actually peak, that this might be like the, the peak of this era. And sort of, if, if you think about it, there's some, re it, it's, it's like technologically possible what I'm talking about, because when you think of what the essence of digitization is, it's the breaking of uh, states into ones and zeros and then their complex rearrangement. We can do that really, really well. We could do it so well that now we have the ability to you know, break so much of what we do down into ones of zeros and put it into you know, this technology that is like you know, a thousand times, a million times beyond our capacity to produce things manually, digitally. So I, I sort of have this feeling that, that you know, we, were, we were coming up the digital, the information age, and then we had the digital age. And I think this technology, because of the way it works and the way that it can scale also, I think we might be hitting like peak digitization in the next five years. And what follows from that? I'm not, I think it's more the real world, but I don't know. I just think that's a, that's a titillating that's concept. A, that's, a, that's a very, very interesting concept because I know Mark Andreessen sort of popularized the idea of uh, the phrase software is eating the world and maybe dissolving is a better way of putting it. Cause as you said, it sort of breaks everything down and you can see this industry by industry with, you know, SAS tools and all these things, more and more things get sort of software eaten. You, you I mean, you go yeah. to a local guy to whatever have him come and fix your plumbing and you're like scheduling it online and paying him online like little by little there's still a yeah. lot but is there a point which everything's been eaten by software now now we finally everything has now been digitized to the greatest extent it can and if so i love that idea of the energy going back to the world of atoms because this idea of the sort of the great stagnation which i don't entirely agree with but there's a lot right. to it in the physical in the realm of physical things it's like it is depressing like yeah, air travel well, is but, worse than it was a hundred years ago. Like literally of, it's worse because yeah, it's more regulated and right. it's no faster. The planes but, aren't but any better. I mean, think, maybe, think maybe. about how, well, th think about the story. What if the story is the reason there was stagnation is because humans saw a window to improve their information technologies yep. a bazillion fold. So yep. what looked like stagnation was actually the development of extraordinarily sophisticated information tools. Like, yep. Like, what can humans do with extraordinary information tools? They could do a whole lot of things. So maybe uh, yeah, isn't to, it to your to your point, like yeah. the you know the old thing that's used, like oh well, they built the Golden Gate Bridge in whatever three months or something. And these days, it would take like three years and all this stuff. If all that energy was going to digital stuff for this time, and the result is, you can say, create me plans for a Golden Gate Bridge that meets the Bingo. following criteria, get all the material, blah blah blah. Maybe you can do it in three weeks now. 
Totally. You know? And wouldn't it be justified to have spent as much time and energy as humanity has spent yeah. mastering the, the digital world if we could say, okay, we've mastered it to such a high level and we, we've made it such that we, we're trying to put all kinds of inputs into this machine and we've gotten so good at it that we can we can sort of say, okay, now what do we do with this? Well, there's the real world we can make better. There's all kinds of creative expression. Oh my gosh. Now you're getting right? excited because- You see it? Yeah, Eugen von Bombalwerk, one of the worst names ever, uh, Austrian economist. You know, he describes the structure of production and the basically advancements, like we were talking about before. It's always when when humans go deeper down the stack, like yes. further removed from the end result in the structure of production, yes. that's when wealth is created. So Great when you're way. like, yes. oh, I learned to catch a fish with my hands. Oh, I learned it with a spear. Now I can get three a day. Oh, I learned to make a net. Oh, now I learned how to build a factory to build rope to build millions of nets. Yeah maybe information is the lowest you can go in the structure of production. It's the, the most foundational level of the stack is the information required itself before you even get to the raw materials that are needed or whatever. It's like, first you need information. You need to understand what is iron ore? How do I get it? How do I, right? Like, and if you, right. if you focus on turning that into something highly, highly scalable, digitizable, yeah. Now think about what that does to every other layer. It's, of that, it's that digitization concept that I think is is maybe peaking here because you know a bunch of autists and computer programmer types have thought that the entire world is fundamentally digital. All aspects of life are digital, computational, and I think that's part of the motivating philosophy of a lot of the people who are pessimistic. It's like they can't imagine any uh, part of life that isn't able to be put into this machine, and then thus they are replaced. Yeah, and I'm thinking, okay, well, maybe that's just your autism because there is a whole bunch of world that is that is not quantitative. It is qualitative. It is experiential. It is creative, and that's not going away. I see no, I see no plausible story here where that is somehow not valued or totally replaceable. It's not. It's just we're going to try to digitize everything we can so that we're like ultra productive in our with our information technology so that we can do other things. Oh my gosh, I love it, Steve. It's like this digital age so far has been one giant struggle doing things ourselves by hand until we could figure out how to create a program that just does all this yeah. information work yeah. for us. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's, that's great, like great, a, great yeah. stuff, Steve. We, we could go on. We'll have to do a second episode maybe about some specific stuff as these new developments come yeah. forward. But are, are you taking any specific action right now? Now that you're so excited by this, are you like, okay, I got to learn more about this. I got to start using it. Like, are you, are you acting on this? No, I'm I'm just Vision waiting. Uh, this yeah. is happening a lot quicker than I was expecting. So I'm I mean, as soon as the uh, you know the movie uh, products hit the market, where you can start creating your own yep. films from scratch without like I'm doing that. Uh, like the day one that comes out, I'm doing that. And yeah, I'm going to be using it for um, research stuff. But no, I'm I'm thinking like the next six months, the next year, I'm just gonna I'm gonna watch all these amazing tools. Uh, come out. And then, and then I'll, I'm sure I'm going to be using it professionally more. Well, I definitely encourage everybody. Uh, if you don't know Steve already, go check out his, um, his uh, sub stack. Uh, I think you just go Steve dash Patterson. You probably find all your stuff on there, but, but what I, I wanted to have you on here because you always have interesting ideas and I love talking to you, but you are the farthest thing from a hype man and like a Pollyanna ish, like <laughs> tech is awesome. Tech like Silicon Valley, crypto, all their hype and BS and like, you're not that kind of dude. You're a skeptic. You're not the type to like, you're not a pessimist, but you're not the type yeah. to, to just sort of blow smoke. 
And so hearing how you get excited about this, I'm like, yes, that's, we need minds like Steve talking about this stuff in a realistic yeah. way, talking about the real dangers and the real possibilities and not just the doomsdayers or the hype men. So, well, uh, I appreciate so the much. opportunity, Isaac. I, I'm, I'm going to be, you know, I'm in the middle of writing a few posts on this. I, I haven't, you know, I just got my new studio set up, by the way, I got to do one shot here. Check out my cool oh, new studio. My. Look at yeah. that. It's going to be part of the Natural Philosophy Institute. So I, I don't really see many voices that are saying the types of things that I'm saying. So I'm like, okay, well, I need to do this because I think we could be super, there's a super optimistic story we can tell. I think right now I'm open to being wrong, but I think that's the most likely story. And and sort of if you, you know, if, if you're pessimistic on, you know, humans ability to adjust to new technology and you think they overreact, like this is exactly what you would expect when that people were discovering electricity and all of its uses. And they said, oh, but we have cultures built around the songs that you sing when you do the laundry. And it's like, yeah, buddy. And that's going away and it's okay. You know, that that's okay. So yeah, I, I hope I can, I, I can build an optimistic picture here. Awesome. Thanks so much for chatting, man. See you next time. Thanks, Isaac.